reading and arithmetic, but this is the four R's. So last week, the R was what? I heard someone say reading. Reading. And most people, a lot of people don't like to read anymore, but reading is an important part of our relationship, our growing in um, our relationship with God. But the second thing as we look at this morning is going to be of the four R's is relationship. The importance of our relationship with God. And we're going to look at three levels in a relationship. And we're going to take and look at three passages, three texts in there and emphasizing our relationship with God. And so why don't we open in a word of prayer and then we'll turn to Acts 19. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have. Thank you for your word, for the truth it gives to us. Thank you that we can know you, that you are not an impersonal God. God, you are transcendent in that you are so far away we don't even it seems like that you are beyond us we you are incomprehensible but you're also eminent in that you are with us that you are present among believers your word says we're two or more gathered and god we thank you because you you teach us about yourself you've given us your word and you've sent jesus christ to clearly demonstrate god incarnate god who is in the flesh and it helps us to understand that you know our infirmities, that you, you know all about us, and you c- created us. And so, God, I just pray that you would help us to grow in our relationship with you, that it is something organic, living, vibrant. It is not something that once a person comes to know you that it's dead, it's stale. But, Lord, in our, in our human relationships, there's constant change, there's struggles, but it helps build our character. It helps us to understand more about who we are and our weaknesses, but also about how you are perfect, how you are faithful. And I pray that uh, your word might show that to us. And we thank you for this time we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we look at the three relationships, there'll be three relationships, if you will, three levels of our relationship with God. So think of it as tier. This is kind of hierarchical tier. It, It moves through. And first of all, we're going to look at our association. And if you're following in your notes, association, turn to Acts 19, 11 through 16. Acts 19, 11 through 16. And association. Most of you have associates. If you've ever worked in retail, you were an associate. Maybe cashier associate or an associate if you work for someone. You might have an associate, someone either you work with or someone you know just are familiar with, but an associate. And in relationship, there are people who, in their association, they know of God. And let's read, if you will, in chapter 19, Acts 19, 11 through 16. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 16. And starting in verse 11, we have here Paul is at Ephesus, and, and verse Chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. 
And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. As we look at this text and what takes place here is Paul was going around and through the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit to authenticate that he was truly an apostle. Remember, Paul was one who had been antagonist to the Christians. He put them in prison. Now all of a sudden he was on the Lord's side, if you will, and was a follower of Christ. And to demonstrate that, that he was one who had the Holy Spirit, he could heal. And he was doing great wonders. And it shows here that these individuals wanted some of that power too. These itinerant uh, Jewish exorcists, they were, they were evil spirits at that time. Fallen angels, literally demons. And they would take over and just control an individual. And they were trying to call upon the name of Jesus. And so it, it's interesting because as the wording here, it says that these exorc Jewish exorcists, they said, we exercise you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. They didn't really know Jesus or God. They just said, we, by this one, this name. And so as we look at those who do not know God, th those who do not know Jesus as their personal Savior, the relationship isn't really close. And they're just by associate, association, they know who it is. They know of God's name. First thing we look at is in, in the association, they know of God's name. They were saying, oh, by the name of this God. In today's society, there's people who know God's name. Sometimes they say as a curse word. They know of a Jesus, but they don't know him personally. And they knew that by calling upon this name, there was a source or object of power. But they really have no true relationship with God. There's those who say, I believe in God. Some who don't even believe in a God. But they, but they say, oh, I know the name of God. And if, even in James 2.19, it says the demons know and tremble, but they can have no personal relationship with God. So they know that the name, there's an association with that name and um, of that God. But in the same sense, they could know Ra, that name. How many know what, if I said Ra, what that means? Some of you, what is Ra? The sun god by the Egyptians. You know, you could say, oh, I know that name. If I said other names, um, individuals, there was um, different times in different places, they have names that they called upon, and they knew the name, and they associated with power. Even in Babylonian times, El, they believed that that had some power or source of strength but they also knew that they couldn't get close to it. And the name was what they believed. And if we look at association, knowing God and knowing names, it's, it reminds me of the illustration of the, the Jack, not our Jack, but there's a Jack who is bragging to his boss one day. He said, I know everyone there is to know. Just name someone and I know them. Well, tired of his boasting, his boss called his bluff and said, Jack, how about LeBron James? Do you know LeBron James? Sure, yes, LeBron and I are old friends. I can prove it. So Jack and his boss fly out to Los Angeles and knock on LeBron James's door. Sure enough, LeBron shouts, Hey, Jack, great to see you. You and your friend come on in and join me for lunch. And so he puts out this big spread, and they're able to eat all of this food. And it's like, he, um, the boss was pretty impressed. 
and, um, but still a little skeptical. After they leave LeBron's house, he tells Jack that he thinks Jack's knowing LeBron was just lucky. You know, maybe they lived together in Cleveland or something, knew him when he was growing up. But so, so Jack says, well, no, name someone else. And so he says, do you know the president? And so Jack says, yes, I know him. And so let's fly to Washington. Off they go to the White House. And as they are in the White House, the president spots Jack on the tour and motions him over and says, Jack, what a surprise. I was just on my way to a meeting, and you and your friend can come on in. Let's have a cup of coffee, and we'll catch up. Well, the boss is very shaken, um, but still not totally convinced. After they leave the White House grounds, he expresses his doubts to Jack, who tells him again, okay, name someone else, maybe, you know, out of the United States. And so the boss thinks, and after a while, he says, I bet you don't know the Pope. And so he says, sure, I have family, family from Germany, so um, I've known the Pope for a long time. So off they fly to Rome. Um, they go in there, and um, Jack and his boss are assembled with the masses in the Vatican Square. And when Jack says, this will never work. I can't get his eye contact. So tell you what, you stay here. I'm going to go up to the platform to the little area where the Pope is, and you'll see that I'm next to him and out on the balcony. So he disappears in the crowd and heads up there. And sure enough, about half an hour later, there's Jack up in the, on the balcony uh, with the Pope. And by the time Jack returns, it's been a while, back to his side, he finds that his boss has had a heart attack and is surrounded by the paramedics there. Well, working his way to his boss, Jack asks to his boss, what happened? His boss looks up and says, well, I was doing fine until you and the Pope came out on the balcony. And the man next to me says, who's that guy up there with Jack? The whole point is you never know who, who people know. But the association, obviously, the boss had no uh, association with those people. He had an association but didn't know those people. He knew my name. And so that is how there are people in relation to God. They know of the God, but they don't really know the God. They know of his work. Second thing we look at is they know of God's work. Because here in our text, these sons of Sceva, they were saying, oh, look, that God can perform these miracles. And so they tried to gra use his power and the healings to cast out demons. They knew that it was done by God, but they didn't know it. Imagine they thought of God as being like this special power that they had. If I have that, then I can do anything. Pandora's box. Maybe you've watched some of those movies or different ones, and they want the ultimate power or immortality. They, they want to be able to have that power, and they know that they can get it. And that's how they view God. Sometimes even Christians or people who call themselves Christians say, you know, be, I know God's work and what he's done, and that's great, and I, that would be nice to be able to have. But they don't know God. The third thing we look at is that um, these people who don't know God, they know of God's children, or those who are associated with God. They know that people who are followers of God. And here we understand Paul, the one who was doing this work, he was sealed by the Holy Spirit. And as you look at the text, he had spent two years in Ephesus ministering in this school. And he goes on and it says that now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Unusual means not the norm. Doesn't mean that everyone is going to be able to do them. I mean, imagine if you had a special Kleenex and you could go take it to someone sick and they're healed. Nowadays, we have televangelists who do that. And they say, if you give the right amount of money, I'll send you this 
this blessed hanky, you know, it's sacred snot, and you can have that, and maybe that'll help you. Well, if you want to pay lots of money, I can give you a hanky that has some snot. I don't know how sacred it is, but, but you know, that's how people, you know, believe that. Understanding biblically, these were special handkerchiefs or little um, aprons, they call them, piece of clothing. The point is, there was no power in the, in the hanky, but it was the God who had that, and it was unusual miracles that only Paul was able to do. But Paul was God's worker, but also Paul was one who was, who was entrusted by God to be able to have this ministry to the Gentiles. But understanding is that these individuals can recognize God's children, those who are called by God. And some of you, as we look at understanding, there are people who do not know Christ as their personal Savior, but they know you love God and that you are, are one who is faithful and one who follows after God, God's children, the association. While they don't know of God, guess what? You might be the only, per se, resemblance or recognition of Jesus in their lives because they don't know God, they know of God. So it's only by association. And some of us are like that in our relationship. They, um, there are people who don't know God personally, don't know Christ. They just know of God. And we have the opportunity to share with them and to move from the association to the next relationship and level of relationship, if you know. So just in summary, understanding the association, knowledge of God is not a true relationship because there's some who know of God. And so just knowing God they say, oh, I know God. I've heard of them, heard of him. Just like if, if you were to go to LeBron James's house and knock on his door, guess what? They'd say, who are you? And you could say, but I know you. You're LeBron James. And he'd say, well, I don't know you. And it's only by association. So next thing we see here is the level of, re of relationship going to friendship and friendship. Just each of you, hopefully each of you have a friend. If you don't, you know, I can find someone and you can pay them and they'll be your friend. But when you are a child, think about how scary it is and, and making friends. Some of you still are like, I don't want to get to know anyone because my life is too full. But there is a whole world of different experiences, of stories, of learning to get to know people. People are all different. Some aren't good friends, but some are. How many of you have a good friend? Raise your hand. A good friend. Okay, hopefully some of you do. You know, I've talked with some of you and talking about how some of the games you play, about calling them and seeing if they'll help you out in the middle of the night. Or, uh, you know, and that's sometimes a good friend. A good friend. I've, I'll give an example. There was a friend who wanted to go to Barstow. And so hopefully I was a good friend. I took him to Barstow because he lived there. It was out of the way. I was headed to L.A. this week to pick up someone from the airport. And if you know anything about directionally, Barstow is a little ways away from L.A., but um, went there just because he, he, he wanted, he had a, a good memory there and went there. But things that we'll do for a friend. And in friendship, a friend is one who trusts God. In friendship, they trust God. Turn, if you would, to Genesis 15. Genesis chapter 15. And if you were to think about the verse James 2.23, it says that Abraham was called a friend of God. And so that's what we're going to look at is in Genesis 15, verse 4 through 7. Genesis 15. Part of this text is the Abraham, the covenant that God 
gives to Abram. Changes his name to Abraham. But we know that in Genesis 15, looking at verses 4 through 7. And it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. And he thought he, before the context, he said, maybe Eliezer, my servant, will be the one who inherits, who goes on. Because God had already revealed to him that you will have land, seed, and blessing in chapter 12. But in 15, he's still unsure who it was. But um, God clarifies and says, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed in the Lord and he accounted to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. And it goes on and talks about the sacrifice, but he gave Abraham a promise. And says, this will occur to you. I am the God who brought you out of Ur of Chaldeans. And you obeyed. And you followed through. And the plan that I have given you, I will fulfill it. So as we think about friendship, in friendship, it requires a certain amount of trust. And did you know even family members? Sometimes your family, even though you're family, they're your friends too. But as we look at it, we see that in the friendship is one who trusts God. And if you think about trust, let me give you a little illustration about trust. Maybe you've been on an airplane bef before, but have you ever been in an airplane in bad weather? Let me just uh, give you this illustration. A businessman had been on a long flight. The first warning of the approaching problems came when the sign on the airplane flashed on, fasten your seatbelts. Then after a while, a calm voice said, We shall not be serving the beverages at this time as we are experiencing a little turbulence. Please be sure your seatbelt is fastened. As this businessman looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many of the passengers were becoming apprehensive. Later, the voice of the announcer said, We are sorry that we are unable to serve the meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. And then the storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder could be heard above the roar of the engines. Lightning lit up the darkening sky, and within moments that great plane was like a cork tossed around on a celestial ocean. One moment the plane was lifted in terrific currents of air, the next it dropped as it was about to crash. The man confessed that he shared the discomfort and fear of those around him and said, As I looked around the plane, I could see that nearly all of the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were praying. The future seemed perilous, and many were wondering if they would make it through the storm. And then suddenly I saw a girl to whom the storm meant nothing. She talked, she talked, and she tucked her feet beneath her as she sat on the seat and was reading a book. Everything within her small world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she closed her eyes, and then she would read again. Then she would straighten her legs, but worry and fear were not part of her world. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm, when it lurched this way and that way, with frightening severity, when all the adults around her were scared to death, that marvelous child was completely composed and unafraid. The man could hardly believe his eyes. It was not surprising, therefore, when the plane finally reached its destination and all the passengers were hurrying to disembark, he lingered to speak to the girl and to ask her why she was so calm. 
Well, he, she, he was asking her about the storm and the behavior of the plane. He asked her, finally, why she had not been afraid. And here are her words. The young child replied, Sir, my dad is a pilot and he's taking me home. So understand, you know, sometimes what goes on around us, there's complete trust because she trusted the word of her father and he was the one in control. It's the same way as those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It doesn't depend upon us. And it begins, first of all, in trusting God's power. Do you believe that God is more powerful than us? He is who he said he is, and he can do what he promised. Sorry, it's, I tried to be creative and use color and can't always see him that well on the screen, but power to fill in that. And power, if you will call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again, he has promised to give you eternal life and eternal destiny. And after we die, guess what? Our eternity is not dependent upon us. The word of God says that these things have I written that you might know for sure that you have eternal life. It doesn't change when we feel like we're not saved or we, we don't have the Holy Spirit. It is totally dependent upon the person and work of Jesus Christ, his power. Secondly, as I talk about that, the promise, what he has said. He's able to save us and keep us, but also what he has said to us. He's the one who said that he has paid the penalty for our sins, forgiveness. There are th some who don't understand what it means to be forgiven. They're going to keep asking and asking and because we still have that guilt in us. As long as we're here on earth, we're going to have guilt. We're going to feel um, bad, but that's okay. But what we do need to do is take God at his word and understand that while the punishment, the penalty has been paid. We're still going to have some of that guilt because that's where Satan reminds us. But we can have assurance of knowing that our sins have been forgiven and that when we, confess, when we commit new sins because we will sin, that we can confess them to God. And 1 John 1, 9 says that when we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because they've already been forgiven. The confession reminds us that we are agreeing with God that we have sinned. So it keeps our conscience in an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. In, in the Bible class in the morning, we've been looking at some of the um, way the master and the Ten Commandments. And you know what we found is often happens, people don't like to admit guilt. Do any of you like to admit that you're wrong? Most of us don't. I'll be honest. I don't like to admit it. That's natural, our natural behavior. And then when we're wrong, we usually say, well, well, you know what, I must have messed up, right? We don't want to admit that we actually were wrong because it, it requires certain character in us. But in doing that, understanding that when we trust God's promise, he is the one. Because when we, we understand we've broken God's law and he has promised to forgive us, guess what? He's forgiven us. We don't have to keep worrying about it, thinking about it. God will keep his promise. The problem is we see human examples of failed promises if i say to my kids hey we're gonna go out for ice cream or we're gonna go here and oh i got busy sometimes i get busy and distracted i'm like the squirrel you know but it's just i get into a task and i don't i have no idea what anyone else says to me you could tell me that there's a fire behind me and okay that's good let me just finish this it's just i get very task oriented sometimes 
but here, the promise that has been given. We are going to break our promises, but God will keep his promise. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has pr- given promises that, that we can hold to and dwell upon. And these promises, especially in eternal life. And he is going to help us along the journey that we have on this earth. But the third thing we look at is that we can trust God's plan. Not only his promise, but his plan. And what this implies is that God is sovereign. He's in control, but he also is in in control and understands what is going on in our lives. Sometimes things occur to our lives and like, God, do you know what's going on? Can you help me out here a little bit? Or I've had enough. You know, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of trials going on. Can you let up a little bit? But it's during those times that we, we shouldn't pray simply to be released from everything, but that we would learn the lesson that God is trying to teach us, maybe about ourselves or about him. God, thank you. And uh, we pray for his help. And it's during those times that we should feel closer to God. It's through those times that we learn more about God and ourselves. Because if we don't have difficulties in our lives and everything goes well, we become spoiled children. And we do not always understand or know the details, but we must remember that God is in control and it's about what his plan is, not our plan. You know, if it were our plan, we want everything to go well. We'd be living in that million-dollar mansion. We'd be driving those cars. We'd have everything we wanted. But you know what? We, wouldn't, we would be far away from God. And so in a friendship, in a relationship, if you think about even humanly speaking, a friend indeed is a friend in what? In need. When you need something, when you go through something, you, you are with a friend. It's much funner to go through something that's painful or horrible, right? You're like, hey, at least I'm not alone. It could be worse. I could be by myself. But no, it's one who, who goes through those journeys, who sometimes suffers through you. And even greater is a friend who does it willingly. Because there are those friends who, who, will, who will be by your side when they could be doing something else. And that is where you realize that they're a true friend. When all your other friends desert you or guess what? You're on your own. Bye. But a friend will help be there and help you out. And that's as believers in Christ, you know, we want to help one another. We won't always be there to help you with your infected toe, with, you know, the sliver. But man, we want to be there when it's important. When Joyce was in the hospital, I couldn't be there. And and Shauna went there. And some of you went there. Some of you don't know what occurs, so don't feel guilty. But we want to be willing to help one another. And that just gives me a reminder. Sign up for the prayer chain. And then you can know some of those things that are going to take place. Because I appreciate those who have given of their time. Different ones who are busy lives. You know, some have many children, but yet still go on and do these things and invest in other people's lives. And God is honored through that. And uh, I'm grateful because God is in control and friendship. To be able to be there. Most of us are pretty independent. We really, some of us who don't want other people to be there. But yet, you're reaffirmed. There is a strengthening in knowing that someone is there. And it's not that they have to be there, that they want to be there. I used to work in the medical field, so there's nothing, I've seen it all, and I mean that in the sense that in surgery, I've seen many surgeries, everything from open hearts to, to um, appendixes, gallbladders, 
kidney pancreas transplants. And so the medical field, I know a lot about different procedures. And I've been there, and there was one time I was in a church plant in Utah, and I knew someone who, she was embarrassed, but you know what? She had to have her appendix out. And so guess what? We took it out. And um, it's, at, in procedure-wise, understanding that would you rather have someone who doesn't care there with you, or would you have s- rather be knowing that someone there who is looking out for your well-being? And to know that. I could put it into simpler terms. Imagine if you're going out to eat. I have a friend who's a chef. I'd like to go to his restaurant because I know it's going to be prepared well. I could go to some other restaurant where you don't know sometimes. They're known. They're, they're in the dirty dining list. And, you know, they might serve you that scum sandwich with uh, Wucheria Bancrofti and all of those flat worms. You never know what you're going to get. And, you know, you are going to get sick. But, or you could go somewhere where you know because a friend recommended it. You go to where a friend recommended as well. The influence of a friend. Here, when we are a friend of God, we can trust him completely. Just like Abraham. Abraham was learning about God. And so he had to trust him for his future. Imagine God says, tell you what, I want you to move across the world because, to, because God told you to. Well, understand that God has... And sometimes we say God has our best interests in mind. Well, really, God has his best interests in mind. And in that secondary, he's going to take care of us. God's not going to kind of put you here. I want you to just lay down by this railroad track, and, and, and at the last minute, I'll pull you by. He doesn't do that in the sense of tempting danger. But what he might do is say, you know what? As a missionary, I want you to go to a place that's considered dangerous. But you are in my control in safety. Would you rather be with God where it's, where it's considered dangerous, east part of Chicago, or would you rather be in what's considered the safest place but not be with God? So to understand that as a friend, he cares about us. So as we look at, just in summary of friendship, faith, believing that God will do what he promised, faith requires personal trust that leads to righteousness. Someone who is associated, who knows God, they must come into the salving faith, salving, saving faith, or salvific faith. They must come into a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that requires trust. Did you know that sometimes we don't trust one another? Half the time you won't trust your wife or husband. You know, I'll be honest, there's times where, you know, is anything coming? No. You still look. You know, or did you do that? We always double check because we know. Some, oftentimes we're wrong. But the whole point is we don't trust those who are around us. And so as we, we learn to trust God, are you sure you're going to take care of me? And we, we're timidly stepping out. Are you sure this is going to happen? Are you sure this is safe? Kind of like stepping out on thin ice. But it requires faith. And did you know the more situations that we get placed in that are difficult for us, it increases our faith. And we learn more that God is who he said he is. Third thing we want to look at is in the level of the first is association. And then we move on to friendship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But then what comes next? And we move toward the third level, which is intimacy. Intimacy where one who needs God. First, they, they know of God, they trust God, but in intimacy, in a relationship with God that is so special and understanding you know about God and what he desires for your life. You're sensitive to his Holy Spirit and 
It's one you need God. It's the dependence upon God. If you think about it, a young child, a baby, cannot exist upon themselves. There's a certain intimacy. Um, I could bring up um, breastfeeding in the sense that there's a relationship with a mother and a child, a dependence. There is a relationship with a small child with a, a, a parent, even a puppy, as you look at it. But th- there's a, a dependency. And it's not always codependent. It is one or the other. But here, as we learn more about we need God and dependence upon it, his strength, his, and there's certain reasons. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10. We're going to go back to the life of Paul as you think about Paul and before how these individuals who didn't know God. Paul knew about God. If, if you think about one who was an academic, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he knew all about God. But he moved from friendship where he had a, a conversion. He placed his faith and trust in God. But guess what? He also grew in his relationship with God. So as you look at 2 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're looking at verse 6 or 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, reading verse 6 through 10. And starting in verse 6, it says, For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest someone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Let me just read that again in verse in the Holman Christian where it says, For if I want to boast, I will not be a fool because I will be telling the truth. He was talking about um, his, his past and, and the fact that he was used by God. But it says, But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. Because they were saying, Paul, you aren't who you say you are. In verse 7 it says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I will pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If we think about it, it's definitely a paradox. And these biblical paradoxes are hard. When I am weak, I am strong. It sounds contradictory. But here, it's talking about in the intimacy in a relationship with someone who knows us so well, and we allow them to know us. Because sometimes we try to hide our internal feelings. We try to hide really our true person. But God knows us. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows the ones that we're losing. He knows us personally. But the problem is we don't know God. And as we grow in our relationship with God, it means that we are allowing him to teach us, to guide us, to show that he is trustworthy. First of all, under intimacy that we need God, God understands 
understands mankind's pridefulness. Understands that we are prideful. That You know what? We don't want to allow anyone to help us. We don't want to allow anyone into our lives. And guess what? He also knows that we need humility. So we need God, and it's only when we stop trying to accomplish all these tasks on our own can we understand that a life of dependence upon God experiences great strength. In our lives, independently, we try to do things on our own. And what I mean by that is that we, we fix problems. There's, granted, there's things that we do on our own. But when we involve God, when we, we pray to Him, when we ask for help, things go a little better. And we don't come out the other end and say, oh, you know what, I did everything. Because even in pridefulness and not allowing God to do things, we all need humility. And the person who thinks that they've arrived at humility really needs to start over again. But the root of sin is pride. It's, it's removing God from the equation. And we need to understand that it begins with humility exposure, willingness to allow God to see us as, as we are. And really, before God, we are nothing. We cannot do, we are incapable of doing any good on our own. It is only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we can do any good. Second thing we look at is, under intimacy, is not only our pridefulness and humility, but God understands mankind's sinfulness and we need forgiveness and what that means is that even though that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we still sin and sometimes what happens is we're, we're just better at sinning than other people and they don't see it hopefully we shouldn't be committing those same sins that we did before but you know how Satan is what happens is he creates new ones for us to find but what we should be better at is confessing those sins and understanding that we need to turn to God. And we become better in our self-control and our long-suffering because we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. And that forgiveness that occurs. As we look at the life even of David, he said, my sin is always before me. In Psalm 51, and understanding, cleanse me, O God. Sometimes we feel dirty. If you've ever worked with raw chicken and I'll be honest, sometimes um, if I understand contamination in, in, the, in the operating room, they're sterile and unsterile. And you only allow sterile things to touch sterile things. And anything questionable, you have to throw out and unsterile. But it's learning that process. If you have chicken, raw chicken on your hand, you don't go touch the, you know, the cabinets. You don't touch all these things and spread it all over your kitchen. Or if you, if you do it and not tell your husband or wife, you know, they're, they're going to get after you but to understand that that just spreads bacteria and germs. And some of it, there are some who your conscience is, oh, it's no big deal, you can get over it, it'll be fine. That'd be like raw feces or dog manure, you know, things like that. Oh, you spread all over your house, it'll be fine, right? Well, that's disgusting and gross. But that's how sin is in our lives. When we get, when we sin, it should be disgusting and then we want to get rid of it and we want to get back in that right relationship with God and as we grow in our spiritual lives that sin no matter how minor it is is going to drive us to our knees to God and help us understand God you know I've sinned doesn't matter how many times we do it but if we respond in the right way 
that intimacy. That is where we, we learn and grow and understand that it is, we need God's forgiveness. We need God in our lives every day. It's not like, oh, I'm fine today, I'm okay. We turn to God daily, and he is there. And as we look at the third thing, not only the sinfulness and forgiveness, God understands mankind's helplessness. Now, some of you are thinking, yes, my husband is helpless. He can't do anything. You know, if I left him on his own, you know, he'd burn the house down and couldn't cook and survive. Some people are like that. I knew uh, an individual who had a PhD but didn't know how to run a microwave. But the whole point is, is that it's okay to be helpless. It's kind of like being on an island and not knowing how to swim or how to get off the island. But guess what? You're on solid ground where you're at and you have an advocate. You have help. And that resource is that boat that you can get into and to be able to help you there. And that helplessness, it's good to be in the state of helplessness because when we understand that, we need a deliverer, a savior. And God is the one who gives us grace. God giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is pictured as we stand before a judge, guilty. And when God removes the penalty, not based upon any merit of our own, but because of who God is, he says, guess what? I paid the penalty. You, I'm going to give you something that you don't deserve, which is heaven. And did you know in our own lives, as we grow closer to God, he gives us stuff that we don't deserve, blessings, good health. Sometimes our children invest in that. Sometimes he gives us other encouragements. They aren't always monetarily. Sometimes it's just simply a thought. People in our lives are a blessing. And that is grace, to be continually taught by God. And it's not like, here's a glass of grace. Once you're out, you're done for the day. No, God gives us all that we need. Sometimes there's people, oh Lord, I need more grace. He's given you sufficient, above and beyond. And guess what? It won't run out. So no matter what you're going through, maybe everything's going well. Guess what? You still need grace. In your eyes, you still need grace. Say, thank God for that blessing. We could sit here and thank the Lord because of what he's done in your lives. And hopefully you understand that God is blessing each of you. If you don't understand that, then maybe you need to travel to a third world country or go somewhere else where there is much more poverty, much more difficult, dire, desperate circumstances. And maybe you're here today and going through a difficult time where life is hard sometimes. But did you know what? God's grace is sufficient for you. And he's there and present and encourage you through different ways. And when you express your helplessness, say, God, with open hands, I express to you that I'm weak. There's nothing that I can do. Please help me today. He gives you enough, and he will help you make it through the day. And sometimes we don't believe it, but it will, to be continually taught by God. And someday, think about the questions. I always think about the questions that we want to ask God when we get to heaven. Only he can provide that insight because sometimes here on earth, he's not going to answer them. But we need to rely fully upon God. It's an acronym, FROG, F-R-O-G, fully rely on God. We need to do that in our lives and we need his help and strength daily. It isn't a sign of quote-unquote weakness, if you will. Some people think, oh, you can't lift that physical strength. What's wrong with you? People see it as a, a feat of strength. Well, guess what? People are made differently. Did you know most of you won't be able to lift 400 pounds by yourself? 
but I bet if we got a bunch of people, we could lift it. There are things that people can do. I've seen people thro- uh, pull tractor trailers with their teeth. You know, I wouldn't want to do that. And they think, oh, that's a feat of strength. Well, and there's people who can recite dictionaries. There's feet of academic of intelligence. But you know what? That's really nothing compared to what we have because we can fully rely on God who is the greatest source of strength, the greatest source of resources that anyone can ever have. And so we need to understand that. And so as we look at it, great strength is made available to us when we experience great weakness. His strength is perfect. And as we close, just take a moment to think about being in a, in a position where we need to trust God, but we need to rely upon Him because His strength is perfect. We will accomplish things in our lives that we'll be proud of, but it's only through what God does that will have everlasting, eternal significance. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, you know, we can grow and learn more about you. And the importance is to understand that you know us better than anyone. That it is during our lives when we're not sure what the future holds when we don't know what takes place, I would ask that you would, you would humble us because there are some of us who need humbling. There are some of us who, who we really need our pride, our self removed out of the way. And you do it through many different ways. Sometimes you make us depend upon others. Sometimes you do it through the simplest things. We make mistakes. But God, help us to turn to you, to understand that there is great growth when we trust you. There's great growth when we learn that it's upon your grace and strength that we can rely upon. And so God, thank you for revealing your word. I pray that you would help us to to grow whatever level we're at. I pray that we might move ahead in our relationship with you. If we're here and simply just one who knows of God, I pray that we might Take it to the next level and trust God as our personal Savior. And maybe you're here this morning and trusting God, but you've never grown in that relationship with God. You, you don't understand what it means to be, to be fully relying on God daily. Maybe once in a while when we need God, God is convenient. He's the one who, who fixes our problems. He's the one who can help us when we need something, but we don't rely upon him for anything else our daily source of sustenance to be able to live and survive, to knowing what it's like to have a living, vibrant relationship with him every day. I pray that you would move that toward us so that we can depend upon him.